Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to an episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Wyckoff, film critic and comedian. And this is the podcast where we talk to you about two thematically linked movies, one mainstream and one cult. And what pray tell is the uh, subject of this and next week's pairings it's the uh stunning pamela anderson yes this is the pamela anderson double d shot uh, that's a bad pun uh but this is gonna be a good one we have with us mandy longley how are you doing mandy good um i know you post these on youtube eventually but i'm like really rocking the overhead lighting today more so than usual <laughs> for our it's, listeners it's got a it's it's got like a supermarket vibe. <laughs> I do. We also have back with us from long hiatus, Greg Johnson. How are you doing, Greg? Oh, you know I'm here. Yep, that's right. So <laughs> it can only be so good. <laughs> no, I'm very excited to have you back, and this is a great one to jump back in on. Uh, you know, we're doing this in honor of uh, Pamela Anderson's recent book, which came out, where she talks a lot, very openly about. Uh, her career, different events that have happened in it. Uh, and it's especially poignant since somewhat recently we had the Hulu series, um, uh, what was it, Pam and Tommy, or or whatever it was called with Sebastian Stan as Tommy uh, from uh, Motley Crue, which was her longtime husband and uh, super skis master. So this is an interesting movie that we are talking about today. For the mainstream pick, we are choosing what was intended to be Pamela Anderson's first filmic vehicle, uh, the one that was supposed to launch her movie acting career, Barb Wire from 1996. Next week, we'll be following it up with the lesser-known 1993 film, Snapdragon. Uh, but this this week, there's so much to talk about. So I want to give you guys a little bit of background on Barb Wire as a, as a property and why this was... How it came about. Uh, this movie did was nominated for a Razzie Award for Worst Movie of the Year when it came out. It did not win. Uh, it was beat by Striptease, the Demi Moore vehicle, uh, which, you know, uh, fair. Um, I think that <clears throat> this movie has quite a reputation, and I'm not sure that all of it is deserved. So, But at the same time, there are definitely some things that are deserved uh, deserve to talk about. Barbed Wire is based off a comic book uh, from... Uh, dark horse press they in the 90s launched uh world's it was like world's greatest heroes i think it was called uh but but it was basically a 
their superhero universe. It was a, a universe where this big vortex opened and gave lots of people in the world superpowers. And so the world had to deal with that and it did so in different ways. This movie adaptation kind of changes that a little bit where instead of an alternate current timeline, it is a post-apocalyptic future. And I say post-apocalyptic, it's really, it's it's after a civil war, civil war number two in the United States, uh, which left things uh, split between the the... I'm just going to call them the Confederacy. There's some name like the Confederative Agency of something or other. It's but basically they're Nazis, uh, and it's pretty heavy-handed. Uh, and and then resistance groups, which are spotted around this movie. By the way, when I describe the plot, it's going to sound a lot like Casablanca because it is the plot of Casablanca. Uh, but they took out Humphrey Bogart's Rick and they put in uh, Pamela Anderson's Barb Wire. That sounds like it is insane it actually plays out a little less insane than it sounds because you're like oh wow you could easily turn the plot of casablanca into a 90s action movie uh with very slight changes to the general progress but barbed wire runs uh what's it called it's hard hammerhead uh hammerhead is the bar name i think uh which she runs it is in essentially a neutral zone in the country and it's mostly just a super 90s biker bar and leather bar that she has it's, it's it looks like a bar that would have existed in the 90s it's like a dual level warehouse building with a bar in the center uh elevated stage where a band or go-go dancers can dance and then people drinking and udo kerr plays her, her butler essentially uh he's he's a waiter who is her assistant uh and she has camille the dog which has one of my favorite scenes in the movie and uh, Barb gets drawn in by an ex-lover to the resistance plan to prevent the Nazis from having a secret weapon. And uh, it literally, again, spoiler alerts, if this is a movie that interests you and you haven't seen it before, go watch it and come back because I'm about to, to drop the drop the tea here on, on how this ends. It's not going to spoil anything. Uh, well, the resistance wins. And Barb literally waves goodbye to her lover who leaves on a plane while she's left with the local uh, law enforcement officer essentially going, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. She doesn't use those lines, but it's it's the same. It's Casablanca. Uh, it, is, it is very much Casablanca. So what does this movie have? It has Pamela Anderson uh, with a couple of, of, of nude scenes, sort of, I would say, except for the opening surprisingly tasteful i guess in a way you know like like half I mean, there's like a see-through tub at one point which makes there is which no we'll sense. talk about yeah there's a see-through there's a see -through, well i think it makes sense but not necessarily for bathing um there's actually a story behind that as well so this movie was really really being pushed by the studio uh as like their big their big film it was it was supposed to you know launch their arrival into the mainstream and it's gramercy is the company and um they also at the same time were producing and getting ready to release mystery science theater the movie and they this is the story is that they pulled funds from the production and the promotion of mystery science theater the movie for this one uh, to be their mainstay well both films bombed um, the difference being is personally, I think, uh, mystery science theater, the movie is great. Um, this one, I'm not going to go so far as to say it's great. Uh, but it is super, super nineties. 
It's listed among the hundred. This is this is quoted from the official Razzie movie guide by uh, John Wilson. Among the one hundred most amusingly bad movies ever made, I'm going to say right now, it is amusingly bad, but that is ridiculous. We on this pod have reviewed almost a hundred, probably really bad movies uh, or varying levels of bad, and this I would just say is a moderately bad movie. Um, and if you probably if you came to experience something different than what you got when this launched in 1996 then i question your mental capacity because they were very clear about what this movie is it's pamela anderson's breasts in like a, a pseudo noir futuristic action movie uh and, and that's what we got uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna move on to some thoughts from you guys first before we go any deeper because there's a lot of talk production talk about this movie things that affected it behind the scenes issues etc that i think are quite interesting and shed some light onto how this movie came to be what it is so greg had you seen barbed wire before and what are your thoughts having watched it for this go around um i had not seen it before um and you know i think amusingly bad i think that's actually pretty apt um mm -hmm more amusing than bad um kind of going in line with how you had described it but i mean we we've watched so many movies that are they're not amusing they're just bad right and i think this one was it was shockingly funny i i enjoyed myself <laughs> a lot more than i would have expected um i think you're right on the money you you come in and if you expect um some high theater and high cinema you're you're not gonna get that if if you come in as naked as you can, um, pun intended. You'll uh, I think you'll 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 <laughs> laugh and you'll enjoy it enough. Yeah, it's interesting that you say. I agree that it's amusing and it's it's bad to the point where like, you know, you're not supposed to take it seriously, really, and that sort of gives you the free reign to enjoy it, which is one of the reasons we love bad movies, right? Like quote unquote bad movies. Like I don't have to dedicate it a great deal of compassion or energy into the film i can just be entertained by what's happening on the screen this movie has some good lines like i actually did laugh like so they're not always delivered the best and they're not always classy but my favorite scene is with camille the um uh the dog which is her her watchdog slash bodyguard who when this guy comes in raging for a drink and she's like we're not open yet and he starts going off on uh on Udo Kerr uh, to serve him and barbed wire just tells Camille to go uh, and I can't remember what she says but like go go say hello and she goes and like bites the man's penis through his pants and holds on and then she's like go outside Camille and she pulls the guy outside by his genitals and that was very entertaining to me it also points to one of the issues with the script though which is uh, one reviewer, I think rightfully so, called it very aimless. Um, it's almost skit-based at times in the beginning to sort of world build and character build. We have little scenes and vignettes that, I mean, in fact, it opens with a vignette that has nothing to do with the plot, right? Um, she rescues a schoolgirl who's who's being sex trafficked uh, and and then takes the her parents' money and car because they only had half the money they promised her. She's like a mercenary, right? Which, so that, I mean, all, all the way in that, I mean, isn't Casablanca kind of feel that way i i feel Very like i just so, watched yeah. it recently oddly enough and it 
it kind of feels aimless in its own way of, you know, sure. it, it, the backdrop of World War II. We kind of have mm-hmm. these these former lovers. We have this rogue scientist. We have all these things going on, and it just is kind of things happening at the bar, the movie. Yeah, I actually, I think you're right. And it, it really makes me wonder. I, I really feel like they they didn't just use the idea of Casablanca. I almost feel like they took a script for Casablanca and sort of did a, a full rewrite because it, you know, in Casablanca we have, and this is a favorite mystery science theater quote from um, one of my favorite, probably my favorite episode of all time when they were on sci-fi channel. Uh, it's when Mike and the Vots are ripping apart overdrawn at the memory bank. And they say, uh, there's a clip of Casablanca because the lead character is watching movies and he's not supposed to be. And they're like, don't show a good movie in your bad movie. Like that's just, that's, that's just like a true thing, right? Like don't reference something so much better than you in your own movie. It's, it's never, it never comes out well for you, but it really feels like they, they sort of just put clear acetate over the script and just rewrote everything. Because in Casablanca, we have the beginning scenes where like, the Humphrey Bogart and the local officer are essentially getting sexual favors from like a, a woman to to get passage through right out of out of uh, Germany and stuff and like it's you know at the time it's played for cute laughs but really it's it's a terrible thing but it's it's that sort of they're building the characters and that has nothing to do with the actual plot right and you're you're totally spot on. I think that part of the difference is, is that Casablanca is the plot is, is fairly well done and you have some really excellent characters. It's not that you don't have good actors, believe it or not in barbed wire. It's that the characters themselves are not really there. They can only do so much with what the script gives them. Right. And this is a really interesting script because the script is, is co-written uh, and was tweaked quite a bit, but it, it's co-written by uh, <laughs> Eileen Chaikin and Chuck Farner, Far, Farrer, excuse me, it's P-F-A-R-R-E-R, and I apologize, Chuck, for, for butchering that. Chuck is known for writing, I'm going to say it, I enjoy a lot of Chuck's movies that he's written. I will say that I don't know he's actually made, He's he's written one good movie <laughs> out of his career. And that's not to say he hasn't had a great career, but he wrote the movie, uh, the screenplay for Sam Raimi's Dark Man. And that was a fun, also comic book movie. He's written quite a few comic book films. And it sort of revels in its cheesiness, right? Liam Neeson does a great job. So that was a success. But other than that, he's written a huge amount of bad bad 80s and 90s action films. Um, he wrote The Jackal, uh, Red Planet, uh, which was in 2000. He apparently drafted the, an early draft of the Green Hornet movie from 2011, which was heavily changed. But he wrote Hard Target for Van Damme in 1993, three years before this, which I think is kind of the most indicative of his body of work, right? It's an action movie. It's going to entertain you, but not heavily. Like, it's right in the middle. Like, everybody, even the non-movie guy, right? Somebody's dad probably had a copy of it like on their shelf on their vhs shelf and it's like it's 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 pretty good you know a guy gets punched in the face right you know like that's the kind of movie and that is all over barbed wire the other writer that's credited on this is quite surprising Eileen shaken she's most known she's a producer now primarily but she's most known for uh being a creator of the l word 
TV series uh, and, and future series, which is a lesbian centric drama, uh, sort of a comedy drama, which is, uh, I believe, still going on with a, a new the, the Q generation. I think it's called their current iteration. It might have just wrapped. Um, and she's a producer on Handmaid's Tale. So some interesting female centric uh, point of view there. And I think that does sort of elevate it a little bit, because one thing I liked about Barb Wire is her character is like rick in casablanca and that he she's never maybe even maybe even harder than rick in casablanca right she's never actually asking for help and she's never really even when she's like the villain has the drop on her she doesn't feel like a damsel in distress um she tends to use her uh fighting ability and her sex appeal to her benefit uh in a very powerful controlling way and so it's interesting and i think that is very much probably indicative of chaykin's involvement i would hazard to say because it doesn't follow um it doesn't follow hard targets you know trajectory for female characters so that's interesting mandy what did you think what did you expect had you seen it before what was your take on it this go around um i remember the title like I like I remember there being a Pam Anderson movie and like this title when it came out I did not see it when it came out uh I, I got pretty much what I expected which was sort of this <laughs> meandering not great plot um or not like cohesive plot not really mm -hmm. understanding like why she was doing this thing she was doing for like the first three quarters of the film or maybe even all the film but mm -hmm. <laughs> like, um my takeaways were like, this is the most 90s bar ever. So <laughs> 90s. So 90s. This is the most, like exactly what you said. It was great that you also, like, you know, you said that. But that when I was watching, I was like, oh my gosh. Like they couldn't have put more 90s into this bar if they tried. Totally. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I don't know. Like I was actually pleasantly surprised. I don't remember very much about Pam Anderson beyond just, like kind of media coverage of her uh -huh. and it always kind of felt like just you know, she got done dirty by our media a lot she of the time it did, felt, yes. you know like and that was really i guess disheartening or whatever and it's like to see her in this film like she does a decent job with the acting and her you yeah. know everything like with i don't know how much of like her own stunt she did uh but like she, yeah, I feel like she you must have done some of them, but I feel like she held her own in this and like she mm -hmm. did kind of better than I would have expected. Uh, I felt a lot like watching the movie that we saw on um, the shack, uh, right? Like last year, Steel. yeah, Steel. Steel. I yeah, was like, from wow, the DC like, comic. yeah, I'm like, I'm I mean, I am not removed from watching this movie because of the quality of the acting of you know the lead character. So that's I was a pleasant surprise. Um, and then, and then the skit-based aspect of it was also somewhat pleasantly surprising, and because there were fun things that were happening mm. that maybe wouldn't have happened in a well, like cohesive script. You know, it's it's so funny because what I what I felt from this when I was watching it was this one hundred percent deserved to be a successful TNT series in the nineties. Like it's 100% that sort of like borderline Nash bridges, um, borderline, you know, Briscoe County, like 
that kind of movie now it's rated R. it's it's a hard r surprisingly not because of violence it's actually not extremely violent um or at least it's got violence but it's not extremely um graphic in any way uh it's most i mean it's all because of pam anderson's nipples in a couple of scenes right uh and and it's really mostly the opening scene and the reason for that is that the production was like you to to director david hogan you have to include more nudity uh, the comics, interestingly, don't really have any nudity. I mean, they have sexy moments, but you know that wasn't. It was. It was not intended for a a highly mature audience. I don't feel uh, it was. Anyone could have picked it up, and it was one of those things where they clearly were trying to find places to insert nude people, and and they get Pamela Anderson being naked, which you know, hey, that's your draw, totally, one hundred percent. And the which opening I scene. Yeah, I I found that I was just gonna say the opening scene. I found that so interesting that that was like a note from the producers, considering that you have this like I mean I'm gonna say like flash dance esque opening yeah. where you know there's water being splashed on her and it's all very gratuitous, etc. And I feel like then they insert this character who's supposed to be the average movie goer or one of the producers maybe who's like hooting and hollering, you know, take it all right, take off. Take it off. Hey, blah blah blah, and he and he's screaming, screaming all this stuff, and you're and you know I feel like I can see this like movie goer kind of like yeah, yeah yeah, and then she, you know he he says the like oh like um like show us your boobs babe or whatever he says, and then babe yeah lift lift and, up your skirt or something yeah like that. yeah, and then she turns around, pulls off her heel, throws it, it impales him in the head and kills him, and he's taken out. Yeah, it's and the I, the most famous scene from the movie, and it's within <laughs> the first six minutes. And um, I, I I mean I just thought that 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 really should let you know what you're in for if you sure. if you're there hooting and hollering with this guy and you see him get killed with a high heel and you don't consider your own inner monologue <laughs> maybe the film's not gonna <laughs> teach yeah, you anything. It is, it is funny because you're you're totally right. I love that and I love the idea that that is also kind of a nod to the you know from 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 cast and crew to production like here's your goddamn titties you know um so to speak and i'm using so to speak a lot today i don't know why i must have listened to npr or something but we have this we have this so the opening scene apparently and i always will throw apparently this a grain of salt because i feel like i feel like pam anderson was treated as as mandy said she's been very poorly treated by the media in general and it's it's not a surprise right when a woman becomes successful in the entertainment industry uh and does things like divorces their rock star you know or like has all these doesn't want to be you know exactly what people just want to push you into they usually are labeled you know crappy actresses difficult to work with dumb blondes you know whatever so this isn't a surprise um and and certain things that we hear about stories about productions may or may not be true, but supposedly she actually pitched this as the opening uh, because she had a nightmare where she was forced to dance dirty and being sprayed with a hose, which is exactly what the opening is. It's heavily in silhouette blue light. Um, and, you know, I will say this. So you, you, I gave you guys the, the cinema edit, right? The the theater edit, which is the most common edit out there. It's what's streaming on places where you can stream it. Uh, if you want to rent it on Amazon or whatever, there's an HD of the theater cut. There is an unrated cut, quote unquote. For a long time, it was called a director's cut. It's not really a director's cut per se. He would have done a lot different, I think, given the, the opportunity. 
but it is about two and a half minutes longer. There's a couple of slightly altered moments in the scene, but the biggest change is about a minute and a half added, added to that opening water scene. And it is just the opening water scene. And I will tell you, it is already long in the theatrical cuts, about three minutes. It's four and a half minutes solid in the original cut. Four and a half minutes. Now, Plenty of people, you know, paid good money to order away, you know, Playboy VHS to see this foot kind of footage of Pam, you know, so like for for like forty nine ninety five kind of thing, like the, the people were getting what they expected in this, but it is a long ass time to watch, like a really bad post grunge nineties soundtrack uh, opening with Pam Anderson in blue light almost silhouette like getting sprayed with a hose like it's a kink for sure you know i'd like to put four and a half minutes in context um there's a very famous uh i think it's like 32 questions to make you fall in love with someone and the idea Mm -hmm. is you know you can do it as a first date whatever whatever um the final question is stare into each other's eyes for five minutes straight and say nothing so five minutes and it's meant (laughs) to like to break down the insecurity you kind of get awkward and by the end of the five minutes you're supposed to be comfortable and quiet and contemplative um this is 30 seconds shy of that and that's a long (laughs) five minutes so i am very comfortable and confident with pamela anderson's breasts in this um and of course, for people who who follow Pam, know like she had her breast reduction. Uh, uh, it's been quite a while ago at this point, which um, you know lots of people do, and lots of of adult film stars have done. Lots of regular non-adult actresses have done as well because of the health situation, especially like uh, you know Michelle Visage, um, singer and guest host, or not guest host, uh, a regular host on RuPaul's Drag Race, recently had hers removed and it greatly increased her her health, etc. Um, and we're, we're all for that. These Pamela Anderson is without a doubt, the most iconic nineties centerfold picturesque woman that has existed, right? Like she, most people probably know her from Baywatch. I would hazard to say, which, which it recently came out, I think because of her book that David Hasselhoff was kind of against hiring her. Uh, I don't know if there were any, I don't, I didn't see that there was any mean words, but his thing was, well, this is supposed to be a family show, which, by the way, is hilarious. But that is how Paywatch was pitched. Uh, and if you actually think about it and watch it, the plot is is childish. Um, but it's all these men and buff men and, and beautiful women in like, you know, skimpy, skimpy 80s style outfits. But he didn't want because she had the image of uh, a porn star and. You know, she did she did uh, video and models, but I don't believe and people can write in and correct me. There are plenty of, of Pamela Anderson stands who know far more about her extensive career than I do. But I don't believe she did any hardcore films, um, and, which was why it was such a shock when um, the Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee sex tape was released, which people who've watched the miniseries will know. But it was it was it was not a Paris Hilton um that's maybe not fair. It was not a Kim Kardashian like controlled release that that she and her PR team put together. It was stolen by like a handyman or something uh, uh, or somebody involved who was in their house and then released. So it really was a, a stolen private property and I'm sure quite traumatic. So so we think of her, I think, in that terms now, especially the millennial um, age bracket. Think of her as like, you know, oh, she did a naughty video with her husband and she, you know, was in Playboy all the time. 
but it was kind of a different vibe. She she wasn't an X-rated star per se. Uh, and so, or a triple X at least. So it was really interesting to get, to, to really think about how this must have been for Pam Anderson stepping into this vehicle, right? She'd done a couple of movies before. We're going to talk about one next week. She had some bad experiences as well with sex scenes, uh, which she talks about in her book. And then doing this was supposed to be the step to raise her up and give her a new platform. Well, it didn't happen. Uh, her, her acting was ripped apart. And I will say this, it's interesting. My wife and I were watching this. My wife is a theater background and Pamela Anderson actually acted fine. I think, um, I think she held her own. I would say the one thing is probably, and a director who had more experience probably would have been able to pull this out is the, her voice is quiet. She has a very soft voice naturally. And it was very soft around the other characters when some of the other characters, especially were able to ham it up. If she had been able to bring that, um, projection it probably would have enhanced it but her movements were there the attitude of the movements there's this scene greg you said you laugh sometimes there are jokes in this movie um especially in the first half when she's she does her striptease she kills the guy with her shoe she goes off stage it tells us a lot right away right it's a skeezy sort of post-apocalyptic world where someone can get killed in a strip club and nobody's in trouble they just haul him out uh and she goes back and sits down to change um with two other dancers and one of them is an asian woman who speaks french to her and she says pam's character says what'd she say and the dancer next to her goes oh she's chinese and and pam does this like double take side eye because it's clearly french it's just these weird like it 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 took me off guard because I was not expecting to have little funny moments, you know, and like the later moment with Camille biting the man's junk. I, it just, there were moments, there were also good lines. I want to say that I actually was kind of really impressed with Xander Berkeley, who plays um, the local cop, Alexander Willis. Uh, he was great. Um, weirdly enough, he actually kind of looks to me like a, a beefier Joel Hodgson, creator of Mystery Science Theater. Um, I don't know if it's just me, but he he's got a lot of great lines and he acts he acts the house down. Uh, we also have uh Barb Wire's brother, Charlie, from the, the comics, who is um he does a good job. He's my my criticism is not with the cast so much as the script doesn't give a huge amount of opportunity for all these side characters they introduce to to actually act. For example, Jack Noseworthy plays Charlie, the brother who's blind, and has a couple of good moments. He's very much an Axl Rose kind of stand-in. Uh, he only has really a couple of scenes. In fact, they don't even really introduce <laughs> like who he is very clearly <laughs> you know we also have um uh the head of the local resistance uh who is she's in one scene and then we see her body later uh she's kind of an interesting looking character she speaks through um like a speaker attached to a tracheotomy uh yet she's young probably in her 20s right like we get there are just interesting characters from spike jennifer banco plays her we don't get much of them and it, sometimes you can work with that. I always say Robert Rodriguez is a big, a masterclass in that for like in, in Once Upon a Time in Mexico, he has characters come in that you only have on screen for maybe 10 minutes of the movie, but they have really strong 
um, presence and they're interesting. Uh, Desperado, one of my favorite movies of all time by Robert Rodriguez uh, or anyone, uh, has Danny Trejo as an assassin who uses knives. We get him really for quite a small chunk of the movie in a couple of little scenes, and he is so memorable. It really, it's it can be done when the 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 cast and the script and director are all working to make it stand out and effective. This didn't do that for a lot of them. Uh, I want to give a shout out though to the director David Hogan. David Hogan worked um, as as second unit assistant directors for some big films, uh, notably Batman Forever. Um, but most of his directorial career, almost exclusively, was music videos. Uh, up until like 2012, Billy Talent, Viking Death March, I think was his last credited one. Uh, but he, he, I mean, he's done videos for Dave Matthews Band, Bare Naked Ladies, Rod Stewart, uh, Shania Twain, Lionel Richie, like really big names. So it's not and the transition from music video director to film director or TV director is nothing new. That often was sort of a testing ground uh, for directors. And he took this project over when the studio fired Alan Rifkin, who was already filming scenes. Alan Rifkin, probably most well known for uh, directing uh, Detroit Rock City, the sort of kiss groupie movie. Uh, it's sort of a it's a roadie movie, right? They're they're all trying to get to the the show. Uh, it's a comedy. It's it's got a cult following all its own. But Alan Rifkin apparently directed some scenes, and the studio was not happy with the dailies. Which, for those not in the know, those are the reviews of the scenes that have been shot for a day. So he was out, and David Hogan was brought in. David Hogan puts a lot of great thought into camera angle here and lighting. He he clearly had the idea to make this like a noir film. Uh, and there are elements of that in the comic as a comic reader, but we get this again, it's because of the Casablanca influence. I can only imagine, right? We get this, um, the sort of streak of light directly across Pamela Anderson's eye line a ton. So we get this soft focus over her and she has, you know, she has such that iconic, um, nineties Pam Anderson eye makeup, right? It's like the, another mystery science theater quote, like she's looking through a char charred log, right? Like it's not that extreme, but she has, you know, dark eyeliner all around her eyes and very feathered lashes. And uh, it's very striking and it's very iconic for her. And everyone copied her for decades, for two decades, right? They, they highlight her eyes in that way. There's also some really cool upper and lower shots. Um, there's some surprising choices with some of the camera angles, for example, in like the climactic end battle scene, which is really one of the few action scenes. It's, it's about an hour and 40 minutes almost. And there's not actually that many action scenes that are big, uh, moments, which kept the budget down. I'm sure, although the budget, they were probably still pushing the edge with, cause they didn't have a huge budget to start with. Um, there's choices like there's, uh, uh, the character of Axel, which is, Barb Wire's love interest, the gender gender swapped love interest from Casablanca, uh, played by Disney Plus's own uh, Boba Fett, is, is that uh, Tamira Morrison? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Um, which is great to see him in an earlier role. Uh, he he shoots. Who also doesn't have a great deal of screen time. He shoots like a. We get an overshoulder of the shot from him. He's climbing up a big industrial tower of some kind because it takes place on like a steel plant dock. God knows. It's a it's it's an action set piece place. Um, they get a camera shot of him over the shoulder looking down as he's shooting at villains 
who are in comic appropriate costume, which is weird only because the movie doesn't really have a comic-y vibe to me, um, which is whatever, neither here nor there. He shoots something, it blows up, and we actually have a big explosion and a stunt person nearby who catches fire, as I imagine they're supposed to, and flails around, but we don't get a close-up of that. They don't, they don't, he doesn't do that. Hogan instead keeps, has just the camera shot from over uh, Axel's shoulder going down, and it actually is kind of neat because we do not usually get a, a long shot of sort of a, uh, a money an action movie money shot right of the of the uh, stunt person flailing with flames somebody else would have had it explode and then they would have cut right to the guy flailing around and then falling on the ground burning we didn't get that and it actually was pretty cool maybe because we live in a in a world of of hyper realistic video games where that's how we would see the position from a video game if we were playing as the character shooting and causing an explosion um but it feels right in a way that a lot of even contemporary movies, I, I feel like it doesn't really resonate the same way. Um, so th there's interesting camera choices here. For me, the script is the biggest problem with this movie. Um, I'm not going to say it's even like atrociously bad. It's just, it, it's, it's a ball of potentiality that doesn't come to fruition. Um, we get uh, a couple of scenes of barbed wire on her motorcycle um which is you know very very comic of a comic staple for her but no reason really for them for the motorcycle they could have just as easily had her in the sports car that she gets from the opening um we get a scene of her uh making a a, a bail jumper bust uh and early on with a pretty good action scene i actually enjoyed that scene probably the most as far as the action scenes where she's fighting a couple of guards in uh, a rundown apartment complex um, and she gets there by trying to sell her services as a legal prostitute. She has a little prostitution um, license card and, and and having this heavy set mouth breathing gentleman take her up to his room. And, and there's a good action scene and she does her part. Like it's, it's Pam for most of those scenes. I did catch a stunt person wearing Pam's wig uh, doing the like jump out the window and, and scaling down on the, on the rope, which was, yeah, it's always a little shocking because I mean, Pam had like she's like a size like she's like an eight inch waist. I swear to God. Yeah. So even with a giant wig, anybody with a larger than eight inch waist is you could tell it's not her. Uh, but I I thought it was fun, and and we get this. It's it's sort of like this movie was also compared to, to Tim Burton's Batman and Batman Returns. It's almost like it could have happened in the same universe. Right. If they didn't say that there was a second world war, if they were just like, yeah, this is that shithole next to Gotham, you'd have been like, yeah, that checks out. Um, it, it could have definitely been in there. And um, also props to have her bring up a guy uh, who has a full gimp suit uh, and a paddle uh, and said he's been a bad boy. That was one of my favorite moments as well. Uh, it's just. It, and the details like. When she she knocks him out with the paddle so she can blow through the wall to get to her her mark to bring in for the bail bonds, uh, the bail bondsman being uh, Clint Howard, lovely little uh, cameo that he reprises in the Hulu uh, docu-series is what they like to call it. Uh, it's a dramatization. But we get this cool scene where she actually like puts the mattress up against the wall, 
lays the explosive around it and then like ducks behind a table which is by the way the strongest wooden table i've ever seen it takes like i don't know how many bullets <laughs> doesn't doesn't splinter in a million pieces but this they don't make them like that now so uh it's a good scene uh and i really appreciated it and so watching it i was i was once again struck by the hate of the movie for the movie at the time and how it was focused on her and how i didn't understand any of it that could have stemmed from anything other than misogyny and a sort of dis a sort of uh need to suppress adult performers and those in the sex industry uh to keep them from getting hot right to keep them from getting up like carmen electra is another one it was done very well um uh jenny mccarthy you know these these people who sort of taken a set tracy lords is probably the the most successful icon of it right like has said hey i'm taking control of my career and i'm going to put my money in things that are going to elevate me and keep me you know successful and relevant above all else and people in our society don't like that hopefully it's changing uh things are becoming more open but it really is extremely evident um sadly so looking at the feedback this movie got and it's not a brilliant film i mean the idea of taking an action or a 90s action plot and slapping it over casablanca sounds kind of bonkers uh but it it really i mean it it works well enough for a 90s action movie as i said comparing it to a steven seagal or a van damme movie of the same time this is way more entertaining you know uh before we move on to to final words and recommendations, I will say I did think that probably the, the worst offender acting wise uh, was the the main villain. Uh, I forget what his actual character's name is. Um, he's but he's he's the Nazi, you know, SS leader essentially of the confederate agency of planets i don't know what the hell it's called but it's not important but he's he's that guy his he has a southern accent is my is guess. it is it steve Railsback as colonel prizer it it, it is yes steve okay, okay. And, and steve Railsback, you know he's he's acted he's this is not new he's not new to the game right and he's done some great jobs i will you know uh x-files i'll give it to him things like like he's done a lot it's totally fine but in this particular case he has the southern accent and it kind of comes out and doesn't come out and comes out and doesn't come out and he also is chewing the scenery harder than anybody else so it doesn't quite it just i didn't mesh for me it was like um jeremy irons and the the original dungeons and dragons movie right where like he's going so much harder than everybody else that it's he's like i'm mean, like every time he's on screen i'm like am i watching something else is this a different movie what the hell is going on here uh so th there was a it didn't work as well for me and he also had they give him weird lines like when he's before his death scene at the end which is quite spectacular in 90s fashion uh he's like he has a line like i've got you now or something to her and you're like and in no way does he have her at that moment in fact he's like plastered stuck to a vehicle like it makes like you have to wonder what was the like what pressure was hogan under his director that he couldn't have said hey you know this line that you're supposed to say right now it makes zero sense don't say that line 
say anything else or nothing. Um, but that they kept it in. It's really, it's really strange. You know, uh, maybe if it, if, if this movie follows the formula of filming for other films where they do the ending first, uh-huh. maybe like he came in with this big fight scene and yeah, he feels like a totally different character than the rest of the movie, like yep. bug eyed the whole time, like screaming lines, like just out of control. <laughs> yes. And they rewatched it and they're like, you know what? Pull it all back, pull it all way back. And then you get the more yeah. subtle, like quiet, like glaring Nazi that you get for the rest of the film. <laughs> Yeah, that that actually would make total sense. Um, I, I don't, because I really, I yeah, I I don't I don't totally know. Um, I don't know totally what to think about it. Um, otherwise, it's just it doesn't fit. But he has this scene early on. Our first introduction to him is when he like gets a phone call as he's torturing uh, a resistance member um, by, and this is this is perhaps my famous of favorite absurd moment in the movie he's he's torturing her via some sort of mental electrocution through a metal bikini um she's nude on the table with and by the way on imdb they like to say it's like by the way she was actually nude in the scene yeah like okay well no shit i mean i i didn't think that there was a lot of room under a metal bikini um for for clothing but whatever um it's goofy. It's totally goofball. It's like she has like a Borg set up on half of her eye and then like this very full moon, um, fully developed, but but completely, utterly functionless in reality metal component on her breasts and her genitals that he's electrifying her with. And very advanced, ahead of their time, I will say, he's controlling it via a big touchscreen um, that to kill her, he just like rubs his hand all over it. <laughs> vigorously and it it gets like that you know when you press like an led screen too hard and it like gets a color wash behind your hand because it's it's not able to to do the colors properly or whatever i'm not an expert if jeff were here you can tell us uh but it's like he's doing that and then she's like "Uh, because and i just i couldn't I couldn't get the it that stuck with me for like the next 15 minutes of the movie and i'm not sure how much attention i really even paid to it because i was still thinking i'm like were they like, is it is it somehow most effective to torture someone on the breasts and the genitals in that way? Or is that, like, the most effective way to kill? Or did, is, there, is there a reason? And I guess in the original, like, s- sketches and designs, she was supposed to be, like, suspended by, like, electrodes and things all over. Which I guess would have made more sense. And and I can only assume then that production was like, you need more nudity and sex appeal. And it's like, well, I guess scratch the thing we can't afford by hanging her from the ceiling and instead just put her in a metal bikini with some elect with you know a jumper cables we'll go for it uh that was that was engagingly bizarre also i know i keep saying i'll move on to the final statements but one more scene that cracked me up for the amusingly bad greg in this stage is when barbed wire's brother charlie uh, who's actively courting the resistance and clearly knows the the leader resistance member spike he goes to tell the resistance that they have what the army is looking for one of the things which are these contacts because everybody's id by retinal scan these contacts make it so you don't it doesn't read you properly right uh so that nobody wants them out in the field except for the resistance he goes in and he's blind he goes into like the warehouse where they're supposed to be and he's like calling for like hey spike where are you blah blah blah. and some guy's voice is like spike's not here and he's like well tell her to get here i have to like I only want to talk to her. At which point the bad guy is like on a big platform somewhere in the sky. 
like nods and other soldiers like press a button and the dead body of spike then lowers from the ceiling on a pulley and all i was thinking was who's this for he's blind what what you're not showing him anything like i wanted the next scene for him to be like finally spike come on let's get out of here you know like just talking to the corpse hanging from a rope because you're like what What's this about? Well, doesn't he like, doesn't he like touch her face and he's like spike or like something like that it's so it's like i just i was just like i i, I it's like he, he could have said like wow spike you learned to fly that's pretty great anyway let's go like it just it didn't make any sense and i know that in someone's mind's eye like they're gonna have killed the good guys and they're gonna lower them down to the ceiling and it's gonna be really harsh and then they're like by the way that character's blind and they're like what does that have to do with anything and I'm like, okay let's just keep going um lots of weird shit like that happens in this movie that for like you're not supposed to think about it you're supposed to see the scene you know the bad guy did something bad and move on to the next part but if you think about it for one second it becomes this like complete mind fuck of unreality like at the end when um uh the the scientist who's helping the resistance who has the cure for uh the nazi super weapon in her blood uh that's right last of us they beat you to it um we have like she she also doesn't have a huge role in this movie in fact it's easy to forget or not know who she is but she's given the contacts that will help her get through customs and fly out or whatever to the resistance in canada she's given them by barbed wire who's been wearing them we learn for the last couple scenes like the big action scene and everything and are they're unnoticeable she gives them to this woman who is black who puts them in her eyes and then has these like white white like ghoul eyes that are blue white and you're just like what i can't are the are the lenses racist like what is happening right now that was such a weird moment you're like like the audience is so stupid they won't understand that be when they watch her put the contacts in her eyes that she's then wearing the contacts without some indicator <laughs> like it's like did she put them in her eyes but are they working you're like what what you don't you don't know it's a sci-fi future film <laughs> if they don't have the dune spice eyes exactly that is 100 percent what it is and it it it, it just it was goofy it was really goofy um and uh it's victoria rowell um who plays cora d the scientist uh, and she does a good job but again she doesn't she has a couple of scenes and she's introduced early on but then we don't see her for a long time uh and it's you know it is what it is and then there's a subplot where she's married for essentially a a, a green card marriage to the love interest it just it's unnecessary and luckily they don't waste much time on it it's, it's not a big deal again lots of interesting characters and actors that get very little screen time i mean i don't think udo kerr has ever had less screen time except maybe isn't he an anchorman i mean i it's like you know he's really tiny bits so that is that but barbed wire does it deserve the hate i don't think so and it also i will say i think it's getting a better rap now uh you know 20 30 years later than it did uh I will give it a recommendation um, with the caveat that you have to sit through two die cheerleader songs during the bar scenes where they're shrieking that like, really, I'm sorry, guys, die cheerleaders. I, I'm sure you're very nice people. I'd love to have you on. But those two songs are God awful. God awful. Uh, they're just like that really obnoxious post grunge 
pre new metal like droning there's no like uh the the music never reconciles just flat 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 flatness it is it is the sound of hot topic pleather and and uh you know you have to sit through that but beyond that uh beyond that and the fact i did see some while doing some research some promotional material which cracked me up that barbed wire featured music from motley crew which by the way is very much not true there is not motley crew there is a song that tommy lee performs who is a member of motley crew but lest we forget uh methods of mayhem tommy lee does not motley crew make uh that is not the case out there so yes so the music is questionable Uh, most of the soundtrack though consists of like this bluesy guitar very much like a nash bridges tnt um late night series so uh, hey approach me i would love to remake this movie i think it would make a great uh a great series let's move on to the recommendations i have obviously recommended it with the the reservations Mandy, would you recommend 1996's Barbed Wire with Pamela Anderson? If so, why and to who? I'd give it like a soft recommend because it was fun, but it wasn't great. And then as we mentioned, there's like some problematic situations with the whole Mm. film. But like, it's not bad. It's not like painful to watch in the way that like the acting is terrible and it's Mm. boring and slow. Uh, I mean, like it's a fun 90s action film with some major holes in it you know yep as the 90s were in general (laughs) (laughs) it is it is the 90s in general um i i before we move on to greg uh, one more thing that's interesting and you can find there's lots more um behind the scenes little snippets of interesting factoids about this movie so pam anderson um decided that she would do the bath scene because it was supposed to be like this really fancy tub and um but then they were having because it's like you know in the movie it's like a complete translucent tub as mandy said so you get to see her bathing in it um but they couldn't find it it was very hard to find it was also very expensive so they went with what apparently was a cheaper easier option which was to rent this tank from an aquarium a local aquarium well they did so and apparently when they returned it it was not cleaned appropriately uh, which I must have been a, a they must have promised to do because uh, it ended up contaminating a whole bunch of tanks and killing a bunch of sea life. And the studio actually had to pay four hundred thousand dollars to the aquarium. Can you imagine thinking like we've we figured it out? We cut a corner and we got this thing, which is just as effective at showing her butt underwater than the rest than the other one would be which is hard to find expensive and then you get hit with like you have to settle for 400 grand because you killed seahorses like because they didn't probably didn't rinse out all the soap probably not whatever i know know, right that's that's better than what i thought i thought you were gonna end that show like oh and then the aquarium place like sold the bath water off individually or something (laughs) that would have been smart like gramercy really missed an opportunity here Oh man, but be like that whole bath scene like was just so awkward. Like, I mean, not like just like the weird placement of a tub that like people downstairs could see. It's in her office for yeah. like no reason. Yeah. You're like, why? Um, who who like who is this for? And well, then we didn't she... really get a lot of nudity from it either. Like she does flash no. us later, like in in the next scene as she she flashes her ex when she finds out like, he's married. 
like why like, do you why would you install like a clear tub like in your office in a bar like, I'm you like, know, there's not, some rooms at the like, Palms it... in Vegas that are remind me of this a little bit with the clear bathroom walls. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, definitely... Anyway, I was so confused about its existence <laughs> at all. And then she just looks so awkward. She looks like she's yeah. drowning in the tub. Like, she doesn't... Like, she's like, yeah. I've never taken a bath before. I don't know how soap works. Like, Well, it, it makes just... me wonder, too, like, Weird. how hard was it to, to set that stage, right? Because you think about it. We sit... Like, the idea of a clear bathtub is hot. But then when you actually are in the bathtub, you're sitting in the bath. She's like levitating because what even even her at her sm at the smallest person you could be sitting down like you, you your butt flattens and like you have a body right you're not you're not a mannequin and and that's not it's like that that episode of Seinfeld where Jerry dates the nudist and he <laughs> thinks it's great until he sees her cough and like the the way the body moves is so upsetting to him and the squatting and, like, i remember him being like no, naked yes. squatting yes and then and then so he starts taking off clothes and then all she can see of him is that he looks like a primate like <laughs> monkeying around it's like that concept like things that sound sexy they may be sexy yeah. but they're not movie you have to have every still like, of a movie sexy like right like xerox of like it's like a xerox of a butt except still in real life like xerox yeah. of butts are funny but they are not sexy. No, no, <laughs> like... no. Uh, I mean, unless, yeah, unless, unless, um, unless you're, oh, what is her, what is her name from? Uh, anyway, I can't remember her name. So we're going to move on from that little fact to what I was going to share. But yeah, so it's weird. And I got to imagine that it was a strange scene. Plus it's always going to be awkward, even for someone who's posed nude for magazines or whatever to do spend out. Cause you know, it took hours to do whatever hours they're doing. The tub. Like yeah. she's out of the tub and then it's clearly like they're using like shaving cream or something because the bubbles won't last. So that's, what's got to be on her body. It's not really soap. Right. Yeah. And then she's got to do this scene where they go up and down this fake ass elevator um mm -hmm. where she's making out with boba fett and then like she has to flash at the end so she has to make like everything has to be right right she can't you know have any lines right like that's got to be the thing too you can't have lines on your body so you can't wear undergarments for so long before a scene like that it's just it all the prep involved that we don't really think about like if i were to strip nude right now and jump in a clear tub you're gonna see this ugly boxer lot like there's a lot of other problems but you know it's not i'm not bathtub ready it takes a lot of work. So then she's got to do that. And there's other people and they might've had a closed set. I, I imagine, I don't know. I was going to say, I imagine so, but who knows in the nineties anyway, interesting scene. So soft recommend from Mandy, Greg, would you recommend barbed wire from 1996? If so, why and to who? Um, yeah, you know, I just go ahead and recommend it flat out. Um, I was thinking about it and I'm like, would would I willingly submit this to a 90s time capsule? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, it's, it's troublesome enough that it will kind of highlight the era, but it's not so bad that, like, if someone were to sit by me and watch it, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, we can watch it. I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so sorry. I forgot about this scene and this scene and this scene. Um mm -hmm. You know, it's not quite um, rewatching like Caddyshack or something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like I, I think it's fun enough. Um, I, I was thinking a lot about uh, what you said about, um, well, you and Mandy both said about uh, Pam Anderson kind of getting the short end of the media stick. Um, you know, 
is is she not just a more modern like Marilyn Monroe type but you know actually has an opinion and voices it whereas you know Marilyn Monroe I think played the game a little bit more um but you know that's all that's all you know debatable um but yeah like I I think it's a fun movie she does a really good job um I think the highlight scene for me was when they do the flashback to like her in the war and uh-huh. I'm like, oh fuck, here we go. It's gonna be this like fucking hot pink camo short shorts, and it's just, <laughs> and it's just gonna be dumb. It's gonna be yes. dumb. And they flash back, and yeah, she still has her her very long like signature hair, but it's held down tight under this military cap. She has shit tons of dirt all over yeah, her they, face. Yeah, they greased her face up good. Yeah, yeah, she has you know very minimal makeup. You know. It, for you know however much they needed to be you know screen ready quote unquote um and she's in you know standard fatigues and yeah, yeah everything looks the courage under fire at it like it's, you, know, you know everything looks pretty good and i'm like hey like good for them and good for her for like doing this scene you know i'm not gonna say it's the most believable military action <laughs> scene of of the last hundred years but it's a lot it's a lot more work than they needed to for this film and yeah I, they, I didn't, think, they didn't yeah goldie hawn private benjamin <laughs> her you know like um that's a good point and and apparently the there was supposed to be like a lot more flashback to the war like there's supposed to be an arc there um we didn't need it for the plot that was present Which, but it would have been I mean, an interesting to yeah. your note about, I mean, this this would have been a great TV series. I'm thinking yeah. about um, Udo Kier, who played the like her butler or like her, her gay butler, butler, yeah, yeah, um, uh, curly because he's completely bald, um, <laughs> and like it, you know, I I would have loved to see some of these characters expanded on. I like that they had yeah. this weird choice where, yeah, there's the blind brother who's like, oh, like only tell her I had three beers tonight because I'm a drunk, but then. <laughs> immediately when it's like oh the resistance is involved we have to help them you see him kind of like i've been waiting years for any spark of hope in my life you just you yeah. see these subtle little nuances that and give... he's suffered the most right he's yeah been blinded he's blind <laughs> yeah um and yeah and you know i um you know as a tv show it couldn't do worse than firefly so let's let's well, get it and started. i mean it's 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 you're gonna start a, a web war online now <laughs> Um, but you know, and she. Sorry, you have... only got a season. You have to accept it didn't do well, even if you love it. <laughs> that last episode, it was awful. I'm just gonna say, I liked the series. The last episode was awful. Jeff will be on here to fight with me about it. We'll talk about that another day. Um, yeah, I agree. And of course, Pamela Anderson did go on to have a TV series, VIP, which was not the same. But I would love to pitch and do an HBO limited series uh, that maybe could be more now. It literally has these people reprise their roles. We're not rebooting. We're doing it now. And that would be oh, yeah. very fascinating. I'd want to see uh, every single person come back. Yes, totally. And I really, I would, I would totally be down. I want to say too, uh, because you made me think of it. Um, this is to me, if I had to pair this for a watch party rather than our, you know, podcast where we're kind of trying to analyze things, I would pair barbed wire with super mario brothers a hundred percent because it both they both have that ultra 90s post um blade runner held aesthetic like this is like if you took blade runner and robocop 2 that you know when it's filmed in manesson pennsylvania you know old steel town and you crammed them together with like um uh with with like cinemax after dark 
and and uh, uh, and you took Steven Seagal movies and you crumbled them on top like chips on top of a casserole like that. That's what would give you this movie. Uh, so I totally I'm I'm digging the 90s vibes and I can't wait to, to talk about Snapdragon next week. I want to thank everyone for listening. If you like what we do here at Colton Classic Films, please let us know. Support us by uh, recommending us to your friends, your family, your enemies. Doesn't matter. Leave us all the stars, all the highest ratings, wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you're on an iPhone or a Mac, go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. It helps tremendously. We absolutely love it. And hey, if you want, take a screenshot of your review, send it to Cult and Classic Films uh, with the info at cultandclassicfilms.com, and I will send you a swag bag, I promise, uh, free of charge. It's it's going to be cool. So. Thank you. Follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Colton Classic Podcast, and we'll catch you next week with Snapdragon from 1993 for more Pamela Anderson Double D Double Shot, whatever I called it. To play us out, as always, is The Chud with All About Evil. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.